The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio, folks. We are so excited about the show today because we have somebody who has written an article that I think is truly groundbreaking. You know, a lot of our Go Green Radio listeners are parents. And many of them have recognized that there are things in the environment, things that our children are exposed to outside of their bodies that could have a negative impact on their health. And the article in question today is an article written by Britta Belly. She is the editor of E, the environmental magazine, which is the largest independent magazine dedicated to green issues. She wrote an article for their current issue that is entitled, uh, The Search for Autism's Missing Peace. Autism research slowly turns its focus to environmental toxicity. And just as, a, as an aside, E-Magazine, E, the environmental magazine, is in its 20th year. For a lot of folks, going green has become sort of a new thing. We think of it as a new fad. But E, the environmental magazine, has been there throughout the, the long history of uh, the last couple decades of the environmental movement. And we are so pleased to have the editor on today, Britta Belly, welcome to Go Green Radio. Thanks for having me. Well, first of all, congratulations to you and all the staff of E, the Environmental Magazine, on your 20th anniversary issue. That is a truly amazing accomplishment, and I'm sure that you're very proud. Oh, we definitely are. I mean, it's been, you know, really amazing to see so much environmental interest out there now, um, so many more people aware and wanting to know more about these issues so it's it's really I think it, you know we're in a good place now in that sense. I mean we've um, we're, we're actually we've redesigned the magazine for the first time in its history, and I think really freshened it up, um, really trying to be as relevant and timely as possible. So, and I mean of course this autism topic plays right into that. Well, and I'll tell you, I, I'm holding your 20th anniversary edition in my hands, and I have actually just. Uh, ordered a subscription to the magazine. I, I think it's outstanding. And for folks who, over the course of this interview, say, wow, this sounds like information I'd like to get my hands on more regularly, you can visit their website at www.emagazine.com. Now, your magazine comes out just six times a year, Britta, so you get six chances to create a compelling cover story. Right. Why did you choose autism as the cover story for your 20th anniversary edition? I mean, obviously, the, the prevalence of the disorder itself, the cases continue to rise, um, and then just really the lack of examination out there regarding environmental toxins and how those might be playing a role in these rising cases. So, you know, there's so much concern out there, um, and there's so much unknown regarding these toxins and these chemicals and, and how they're impacting uh, children that, you know, we felt it was something that was really important to look into. Well, and there are a lot of environmental publications out there that are really focusing on 
some of the the hot legislative topics, you know, we've read a lot about Copenhagen. We're hearing a lot about cap and trade and things like that. I find it really interesting that you chose something that is affecting children. How does that speak to the target audience that you are trying to reach with E, the environmental magazine? I mean, in many ways, uh, we look at ourselves as, as, in a sense, taking the issues and causes of the environmental movement and all these um, various environmental groups and bringing those to a more mainstream audience. Um, So kind of, Mm -hmm. we say, you know, reaching beyond the committed choir of environmentalists, um, which are, you know, our readership has been in the past just kind of a very, very much the sort of insiders, you know, in the environmental community, and really now reaching out um, to the wider public with, you know, topics like this, you know, health topics are always um, of such importance to everyone and and of such interest, um, similar to food topics. I mean, anything that kind of impacts people's diet and health and life, I mean, directly, you know, it it Mm -hmm. has an impact. I mean, are things that people really relate to, get them interested. Well, and I think you're at at a really interesting time in the history of the environmental movement because that inner circle of environmentalists is getting a lot bigger. And I know that, you know, since I started the Go Green Initiative back in 2002, at that time, you know, the idea of parents advocating for environmental public policy was kind of a little out there. I mean, there weren't a lot of mainstream movements to get parents involved on behalf of their children in environmental protection issues, but that's become much more mainstream as we sit here in 2010. And it seems to me that e-magazine is kind of capturing that with this story. Now, according to your article, there's some disagreement in the medical community about whether autism cases are actually on the rise, which we've heard about, or that our ability to detect and diagnose autism has improved. Why, from your research, why does that matter so much? What's at stake with the statistic that autism cases are or are not on the rise? I mean, the one thing I think, you know, it plays into is really the fear that's out there regarding these numbers and, and just the desire to kind of dismiss this as, well, this is just, you know, outrageous. This couldn't possibly be true. Um, you know, the numbers as high as now one in 90 children might have uh, be diagnosed with autism, um, one in 58 boys. So, I mean, these are pretty shockingly high numbers. Um, and certainly it is being diagnosed more. Um, there, you know, recently there was a study done in California where they were trying to see if there was some sort of environmental link in terms of um, looking for clusters, you know, a certain group of people in an area that that have particularly high rates of autism. And what they found were that these clusters were centered around white, wealthy neighborhoods. Um, So these were the people that were getting the diagnosis and the treatment. Um, But it didn't point at all to some sort of environmental factor. So it was sort of back to the drawing board. Um, So there is really a lot of controversy around just the numbers themselves and um, is it just that it's being diagnosed more? And, and while that's certainly part of it, um, the researchers I spoke to said that that's not enough to explain uh, the significant rise in numbers that we're seeing, that there's cer- well, certainly something else going on. You know, as a mother of three, I'm tempted to say, who cares? The bottom line is a lot of children are suffering from this. Let's research it. And I, you know, and so I just wonder why, um, it even matters at all whether or not the cases are on the rise. The fact is there's X number of children who suffer from autism. Why is that statistic such a big deal? I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think whatever you have something that kind of strikes people as frightening, there's, there's, a, there's an urge to discredit it um, as being just, 
you know, over people are going over the top. Um, and I mean, without a doubt, the, the medical community is seeing more and more autism cases. And uh, while we define it as a spectrum, so that it's, you know, anything from very highly functioning um, uh, people with autism to, you know, people who have uh, difficulty communicating at all um, and everything in between. So, I mean, it's, it's something that's kind of hard to pin down in many ways. Um, and, and I think that's just, you know, something that just that causes people to, to wonder, is this, you know, are we making too much out of this? Right. Well, you know, and, and here's where I get to take some liberties as the host of the show and editorialize. Um, I would say, hey, it doesn't matter. If it's on the rise or not, there are just a whole lot of kids being diagnosed with it. That's enough. In fact, I found it shocking when I read that in your article that autism affects more children than cancer, diabetes, and AIDS combined. And it seems like the treatments for children with cancer, diabetes, and AIDS are so much further advanced than the treatments for children with autism. I mean, is that really the case? And if so, what has your research uncovered, Britta, on the treatment of autistic children? I mean, those who I spoke to, uh, the researchers who who were involved in this kind of research with autism, had said that there really isn't enough money being um, directed towards finding effective treatments for autism unlike some of these other um, childhood illnesses and diseases, there, se- there doesn't seem to be, you know, a really a, a clear genetic answer, uh, a clear environmental answer certainly at this point, um, since that research is really in its infancy. So that makes treatment kind of hard to come by as well. Um, there, are, there are traditional medical approaches, uh, behavior therapy they use, and, you know, certain, uh, certain drugs, um, there are the, the other kind of school of thought, which is the biomedical treatments, um, which could be the, you know, dietary, certain dietary restrictions and um, other, you know, more controversial treatments, collation, which is, you know, literally detoxing metals out of the body, um, administering oxygen, supplements. I mean, so it's just the range of treatments out there are very broad, and it, it, it all seems to be people sort of finding their own way um, within mm-hmm. this medical system. Well, and that's so curious because, as your article mentions, it's not as though autism is a brand-new diagnosis. I mean, uh, the physicians that first, you know, brought this to our attention, I mean, this was decades ago. Uh, so whereas with AIDS, I mean, that, that's a more recent diagnosis, it's kind of curious that the treatments wouldn't be more further advanced. How do you account for that, or how do the people that you talked with account for that? I mean, one of the things that struck me immediately um, in doing the research with this was the incredible divide within the autism community itself. Um, I think that's something you don't, you just don't see with other childhood disorders and illnesses. Um, and, I mean, there's a real animosity here. There is a group that just strongly believes this has everything to do with vaccinations in childhood, and nothing anyone says to them is going to change their minds on that issue. Um, and on the other side, those who vehemently disagree with that and believe we need to, you know, follow a traditional medical route, that this is a genetic-based disorder, um, and, and all this talk of diets and supplements and everything else is complete nonsense. So, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I mean, the, on the one side, the people who really distrust the medical community um, and are seeking their, you know, alternative treatments, and on the other, those who... <clears throat> who will only follow a, a sort of traditional medical path. Um, and that's, I mean, I think that's impacted the research 
in relationship to autism in the treatments um, that they there seem to be such, two such divergent schools of thought about it, and kind of neither one seems willing to cede anything to the other. Wow, that's really unfortunate because who gets caught in the middle of that? Of course, the children. Now, you mentioned in your article, and, um, you know, we just have a minute or so till break, so we may take this up again after the break, but in your article you mentioned that the EPA has identified a higher risk of adverse health effects to children born to women with elevated mercury levels in their bloodstream. Uh, My youngest child was born in 1998, so I might just be out of the loop on this, but I haven't seen public service announcements that are aimed at women of childbearing age that warn them of this. And I, I don't believe, as far as I know, that testing for mercury levels is a routine blood screen for younger women in their annual physicals. Um, has your research turned up evidence of any educational outreach efforts on the part of the EPA or the medical community to warn women of childbearing age of the need to reduce mercury exposure if they are planning to or could get pregnant? Um, I, you know, I think there is a lot of awareness right now about uh, tuna fish and seafood, and that's really the number one source of mercury um, for most of us. And and there there certainly is advisories about um, the amount of tuna fish we should eat. It's, you're you're really advised against eating it if you're pregnant. And others would go so far as to say if you're of childbearing age and are interested in having children, um, that you should avoid fish like tuna fish, which is, has a high mercury content. So, I mean, in terms of that, I'm aware of that warning. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. fairly well known. Um, and well, the other would good. be... And I, we're going to talk there's... about that a little bit more after the commercial break, maybe what could be done. But folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Britta Belly, editor of E! The Environmental Magazine, and we'll be talking more about this issue that's very important to children right after this commercial break. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. 
Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today we're joined by Britta Belly, who is the editor of E, the Environmental Magazine. You can check out our website. Don't close this web browser as you listen to us on America's number one live talk radio show, www.voiceamerica. Open a new web browser and check out her website at www.emagazine.com. We're talking to Britta because she wrote a cover article for E-Magazine, the Environmental Magazine, um, this month, their 20th anniversary edition. And it's all about childhood autism and the environmental toxins that may be at least partially to blame for the upsurge that we're seeing in terms of the rates of children diagnosed with autism. Um, we were talking with Britta just before the break about how the EPA has identified that, that there's a higher risk of adverse health effects to children who are born to women with lots of, you know, mercury in their bloodstream, elevated levels of mercury in their bloodstream. And we were talking about awareness um, and how we can help women who are of childbearing age avoid having a lot of mercury in their blood level. Tuna fish is one. Consumption of tuna fish can bring that mercury level up. But, Britta, in your research, what else have you found that could protect, you know, unborn children who, uh, you know, may be subject to adverse health effects from mercury in their mother's blood? What else can moms do to reduce that risk? You know, it's interesting. Um, the, in, in infancy, I mean, uh, I should say, um, when the child is in utero, they're actually drawing their nutrients, you know, from the mother, obviously. Um, and if if 
a pregnant woman's not taking, for instance, proper prenatal vitamins, I mean, that alone could be exposing the child to unwanted toxins that are in the mother's bloodstream um, as they're drawing those nutrients from um, the bones and bloods of their mom as opposed to the when you put in those, those um, supplements, that's what the baby's drawing from. So that was uh, one of the things that one of the researchers said to me is simply just monitoring that they're taking proper supplements and vitamins. Um, you know, and clearly things like uh, other exposures to chemicals uh, via just household cleaners um, and, you know, obviously pesticides, um, things that you might be spraying on lawns or gardens. Uh, so all of those, you know, in, in sort of every aspect of life, try to stick to sort of basic ingredients um, and really, I mean, like homemade cleaners when possible um, are so pre- so much more preferable to chemical-based sprays, air fresheners, and all of those things. So, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to extract the chemicals from our lives. Um, I I think it's helpful that people are becoming more aware. We're seeing a lot more products out there that are disclosing their ingredients. Um, So it's really about reading labels and just, you know, kind of proceeding with caution when it involves things like cleaners um, and fertilizers and things that you're, um, you know, applying to your living space and, and yard. Well, and you know, it's it's kind of um, there's a there's a two prong issue here. I mean, there's only so much control that a woman of childbearing age has over her environment. Certainly, in the choices that she makes at home, you know, uh, those chemicals can be controlled. But you know, it does sort of place the onus as well on the place where she may work. Uh, you know, there are a lot of women of childbearing age who are working in buildings where these kinds of considerations may or may not be taken into consideration. Um, and I know that, you know, this may be a difficult question for you to answer, but, you know, if we find that, you know, these chemicals, these toxins can adversely affect children to the extent that, you know, it's really a, a burden on not just the families, but on the entire society, um, what kind of actions do you foresee in the future based on this EPA finding in terms of workplace consideration of, you know, these kinds of chemicals? I mean, there are consumer advocacy groups and environmental groups out there who are, you know, have really taken up this challenge, um, particularly in regards to children's health and children's environments. Um, So, you know, the issue of, say, schools, I mean, there's certainly a lot of, you know, mothers kind of taking up that charge in terms of their own uh, workplaces, you know, the, the, there is a much larger issue here of chemical regulation in this country and just how lax it is um, and, mm-hmm. and really how, how that's compromised our, our safety and our health. And that, that's certainly become a major issue. That it's a big problem. Uh, you know, there's thousands of chemicals out there, a large percentage of which have never really been tested for safety. We don't really know the long-term effects of many of these chemicals on children, on pregnant women, um, and it's really, we're not requiring manufacturers of these chemicals to prove their safety. And that's really the next step here is, that, you know, we're kind of going on a one-by-one basis. Um, let's get bisphenol A out of baby bottles. And that's wonderful that we're doing that. Or, you know, we don't want to need lead in our children's toys. Um, but at that rate, imagine how long it would take to really extract all these chemicals from our everyday products. Right. I I read this segment of your article, and I want to read this to our listeners uh, just in case they haven't had a chance to look at your article yet and ask you a couple questions. 
This was really surprising to me. He said there are 3,000 chemicals that the EPA classifies as high production volume. In other words, chemicals that the U.S. imports or produces at a rate of more than 1 million pounds per year. According to the EPA, 43% of these chemicals have not been tested for basic toxicity. And then your article goes on to quote uh, Dr. Mershenix, a uh, neuroscientist at the University of California, San Francisco, who says, our current situation is an incredibly backward position that everything is okay until there's an unequivocal scientific demonstration that it isn't safe. And really, the only thing that protects us at all is the threat of lawsuits. The onus should be on the manufacturer and distributor of any new chemical to demonstrate that it's safe in terms that are acceptable to the public welfare. And certainly that includes that it's not going to impact the life or development of the fetal child. Now, Britta, for parents of children with autism, this means that there may have been a way to avoid the chemical or environmental toxins that cause their child to suffer. What can we do as average Americans to protect children and demand that our government agencies do the same? Yeah, and I mean, I, I wouldn't say, because in no way do I think mothers should in any way feel that they're to blame for their, their children's autism, and so much is still unknown about um, how these toxins work, you know, in concert with one another um, and act upon that genetic predisposition that it would be, you know what I mean? It's not like you could go back in time and say, if only I hadn't used that household cleaner, um, this never would have happened. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, one group that I think is really uh, kind of taking taking this into their own hands because they feel that, that consumers really are not being given just the basic information about the products they're using is Environmental Working Group. And what they've done on their site, for instance, they have um, a cosmetic safety guide. And you can literally go in and see I mean, hundreds and hundreds of different makeup products that you might be using and really what's actually in them. And then they, you know, kind of rate them based on, you know, is this safe to use? Is it questionable? Do, does it have ingredients in there that it, I'd really rather not be putting on my skin? Um, they do the same for sunscreen. Uh, they have a pesticides in produce um, chart that you can look up and they even do a like a tuna fish calculator where you you put in your weight and whether you're male male or female and it tells you exactly how much various kinds of tuna you technically should be eating and so, that's because they feel so really great yeah. you know i mean it's wonderful when third party <laughs> entities get involved in this kind of advocacy and i'm all for that but i mean taxpayers pay our taxes to government agencies for certain reasons. You know, I mean, government can't do everything. But certainly part of the social agreement is that government keeps us safe. I mean, that's why government pays for police officers, the military, firefighters, those things that government covers. And if we're going to have an EPA, it seems like uh, this would be a pretty basic function uh, of ensuring that chemicals that are readily available, I mean, in as much as, you know, we know that you know, certain chemicals that are illegal, you know, contraband drugs are bad for our system and we know why, it uh, seems like that would be a reasonable function of government agencies to do the same with these kinds of chemicals. And I'm just wondering if average Americans could be advocating somehow uh, for public policy changes that would, that would actually bring that kind of regulation about. I mean, they can, I mean, you can go on to the EPA website. You can write to them directly. Um, certainly they have public hearings on various initiatives and bills and you know there's certainly a way to get involved on that level as well but i think 
in the meantime, because of the slowness of that regulation process, I mean, this is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of on that one-by-one one basis. Um, I, I mean, people, unfortunately, have to be their own advocates and, and have to educate themselves. And the, the fortunate thing is that we're beginning to see groups that are kind of compiling this information who are doing their own studies. Um, you know, why why the EPA has failed us for so long, I mean, it, it, there's many appointments in there through various administrations that... Um, you know, have been very friendly to industry, and, you know, we're beginning to see that turn around. But, it, you know, it doesn't happen that quickly. And even if we were to, to phase out certain chemicals, which is being done right now, um, they still exist and persist in the environment. So it, it's, it's a very frustrating thing that, you know, no amount of regulation at this point is going to eliminate flame retardants, say, from the earth. I mean, it would be wonderful if that, that could happen. Um, unfortunately, once these chemicals are released into the environment, they persist there, and they're, they're all over the, you know, they're, they're in the re- most remote parts of the planet. <clears throat> right, right. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, point well taken. Um, but I think for organizations like the PTA, who are renowned for being one of the oldest and largest um, child advocacy organizations, these kinds of issues are, are perfect for that group of six million moms and dads and teachers who've banded together, gosh, for over a century, I guess, with the PTA to work with groups like you mentioned to to really advocate on behalf of children's well-being. And, right. uh, and I'm hoping that we'll see that over time. I really do. Well, we are going to be taking a quick commercial break, folks, but we'll be back with more uh, Go Green Radio just after these commercial breaks. So don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Hey, Dad. What? I can't get the ketchup bottle open. Here, let me try. Here you go. Thanks. You don't have to be a hero to be a hero. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Tolvanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Tolvanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us as always. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm really not being fair to you because the conversations that I have while we're on commercial break with my guests are really fun and really awesome. And I just want to say it is great to have Britta Belli, the editor of E, the environmental magazine, on our show today. Um, I hope that each of you will take the opportunity to get more familiar with her and her work and with the magazine by visiting her website at www.emagazine.com. I recently uh, started my subscription to the magazine, and, and I think it's amazing. And again, I want to congratulate Britta and the staff of the Environmental Magazine on their 20th anniversary um, edition this month. Britta, thanks so much for being with us on Go Green Radio. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, your article said that when it comes to research on autism, you found that a large majority of the research is focused on genetics, despite the fact that there are known environmental factors that impact the likelihood of this disorder. Um, according to your research, why is, is so much of the focus being channeled toward research on genetics versus the environmental factors? Why isn't there more research on the environmental factors contributing to autism? You know, it's, it's still such a new thing, and there's still... Uh, the focus is really on finding sort of the magic gene, that magic answer. Okay, we found it. This is really what's causing this disorder. And <clears throat> having just a, a more of a streamlined answer, um, and that doesn't seem to be what anyone's found. I mean, they've never really, they've never found a gene to account for more than a, f- a fraction of cases, despite all the money and research that's gone into that. Um, so there's, you know, many researchers are saying it's really there has to be more attention paid to environmental factors that they know that certain <clears throat> certain things, for instance, maternal smoking or drinking, um, raises the incidence, <clears throat> excuse me, of autism. So that they, we already know that certain toxins playing out uh, while the child is in utero has that impact. Um, and, and also they know that autism closely resembles mercury poisoning. Uh, many... Mm-hmm. Many of the, the symptoms of it are very similar many of the behaviors. So there's already sort of an obvious link. It's just sort of taking it the next step further and finding out, okay, well, is this legitimate and how can we really draw a more definite link here? Right. And your article discussed the link between heavy metal toxicity, um, which I think my parents would have a completely different definition of what that means. I mean, heavy metal, I was 
you know, a kid in the 80s, that was, you know, their, their worst nightmare. And they felt like that was pretty toxic. But we're talking about metal actually in the bloodstream of children. Um, and, and children with autism seem to have a difficulty excreting these toxins and these heavy metals. Talk to us about what you found in your research. Share with our Go Green Radio listeners about this issue of excreting heavy metals from the body uh, with children with autism. Right. Well, um, this was kind of the first uh, sort of big awakening. Was a 2004 Jill James uh, with the Arkansas School of Medicine uh, found that autistic children had lower levels of this antioxidant called glutathione, and it's really it's it's very critical in terms of their ability to excrete heavy metals. Um, it's an antioxidant that binds to heavy metals, basically and tells the body to get rid of it. And they had significantly less of this um, than typical children. And that means that they were basically uh, predisposed they were predisposed to, uh, to to any sort of heavy metal toxicity. So any if you were they were being acted upon by other agents, whether it was, you know, mercury from seafood um, or other environmental toxins, this might have been provided that sort of toxic tipping point to, um, to actually create that autism disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and there was a part of your article that I have to say really hit home with me, and that was the link between oral antibiotics and incidents of autism. Uh, my daughters were so prone to ear infections when they were infants and toddlers, and really oral antibiotics were not unusual in our home at all. Um, now, you know, I've, over the years we've learned more about, you know, overuse of oral antibiotics, and we've really ramped up a more holistic and natural regimen of remedies in the past few years. But if I had known the information in your article back then, I would have done things differently. Talk to our listeners about this link between antibiotic use and autism. Uh, well, one of the researchers I spoke to, James Adams, uh, had said that, you know, they studied the, the um, among autistic, autistic children, I mean, it was a very high incidence of the number of them who had been given multiple rounds of antibiotics as infants. Um, and, and most often that was due to ear infections. Um, so, and then they found that these antibiotics actually decreased the body's ability to excrete toxins such as mercury. So it was actually working against them. Um, if they already had this difficulty excreting toxins and then you gave them several rounds of antibiotics as infants um, and made it even more difficult for their bodies to excrete toxins, um, these researchers feel there may be some sort of link there between those two things. Now, you know, this is all in the early, um, early phases of study, but there does seem to be some... Uh, some truth to the fact that, that autistic children were, in general, more prone to things like ear infections and so given more antibiotics. Um, and what it seems to point to is that there's something underlying those ear infections. You know, that if the child is getting that many ear infections on such a regular basis, that something else is wrong, perhaps, with their immune system that's not actually being studied, that somehow, uh, you know, it's just being treated again and again in a, in a sort of dangerous way. Um, and, and that in many cases, were these ear infections to, uh, allowed to play themselves out, um, it would take just slightly longer for them to recover, and then their immune systems would be stronger as a result of it. So, Right. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and I think over the coming years, I mean, there, uh, certainly there's a lot of research going on separately from autism on 
um, immune disorders and the prevalence of autoimmune diseases, even among children, not just in, in adults, although we hear a lot about that with adults. But I think um, that's going to be really interesting. We'll be watching really closely to see what the research plays out. You know, your article discussed something else that I had never heard before, even though I actually have a family member on the autism spectrum, and that's the link between autism and a series of gastrointestinal disorders. Talk to us about that and the dietary regimens that some parents are beginning to adopt that have some encouraging results for their children. Right. I mean, you know, what they found is that um, it's a very common problem with many autistic kids is that they seem to have some sort of gut issues. Um, You know, acid reflux is very common. Diarrhea is very common. Um, and they just seem to have a lot of issues surrounding, you know, their ability to, to sort of handle certain foods, um, and, and they're in a lot of discomfort. So um, because they're not able, in, in some cases, to communicate this discomfort, there are certain researchers, uh, particularly those who agree with the sort of biomedical, you know, natural approach um, and treatment, who believe that this, what the, some, of, some of the behaviors that you're seeing, maybe the aggression, irritability, um, and other kind of motions and movements really has to do with that pain and discomfort that they're feeling. And, you know, some of the parents that I spoke to um, saw remarkable improvements in their children as a result of really um, controlling their diets, specifically removing wheat and dairy, you know, the gluten-free, casein-free diet. Um, and, I mean, just really, were, I mean, just went on and on about how remarkable the results were, um, obviously cautioning that this isn't, you know, it's not going to work for everyone, but they just, they, you know, really went from a kid that, that wasn't communicating, wasn't making eye contact to one that, you know, after months of, of this treatment and, and kind of gradually eliminating certain things from their diets was, you know, speaking in full sentences. And it was, you know, um, so, I mean, it, some are finding wonderful results with that. For some, that's been um certainly a great place to start and to try and is something that most parents can implement. Um, so in that respect, it makes it something that's very accessible to everyone. Um, but, you know, w- once again, many people out there who just don't agree with that at all, and won't even consider that, that line of thinking. Well, it's, you know, it's one of those things that, gosh, I mean, the diet of the children may not be the silver bullet to cure autism, but boy, I mean, if nothing else, if, you know, they're having, their little tummies are <laughs> upset and you can make them more comfortable, um, you know, that, that just makes a lot of sense just, just to try it, like you said. Right. Um, you know, at the end of your article, there was a warning from uh, Dr. James Adams. He's the head of the Autism Research Program at Arizona State University. He put out a caution against the use of acetaminophen in infants, again, because, it can cause children to lose their ability to excrete toxic metals. Um, you know, I'm kind of asking you to, to go out on a limb here, but do you have any predictions about whether or not we'll see any public service announcements or information about that anytime soon? I mean, children's Tylenol is, gosh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure I know of a household that doesn't have acetaminophen of some kind in the, the medicine cabinet. Right. I mean, his. I mean, his kind of warning there, and, and what he said was that you know, in his studies, he found that this uh, Tylenol and those kind of treatments decrease that glutathione, that that antioxidant that's needed for the body to excrete heavy metals once again. So, you know, you can imagine that in combination with all those antibiotics um, in these kids that are 
predisposed to have uh, having autism in, as infants, um, you know, could have dangerous consequences. And and I think people are more aware now of the, that idea of over medicating uh, their children. But I mean, even the American Academy of Pediatrics really recommends for for most you know. Uh, illnesses with children that that sort of wait and see um, approach and, and let it ride out for 48 hours or even 72 hours and I mean uh, unless obviously we're talking about extreme temperatures or extreme illness um, mm-hmm. so that there's not sort of that rush to the medicine cabinet that immediate rush and I think particularly with infants I, I mean there has to everything has to be done with such caution right it's so hard I mean that that it makes sense when we say it out loud, but when you have a child who's got rosy little cheeks and they're crying and you can't comfort them, um, that that is tough advice to follow. I'm hoping that you know we can we can find you know some good solutions that will keep our our infants safe, but at the same time, in some degree of comfort, it can be very trying for parents of young children when their kids are sick not to do that. It's, it's tough. Well, folks, we are going to go to a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back with Britta Belly, editor of E, the Environmental Magazine, after these quick messages. Don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Now, Mrs. Johnson, before we close on your mortgage loan, I want to make sure you remember Mike. Hi. You can trust me. I'm African-American, just like you. So here's the low monthly payments and interest rates we promised, and here's where they triple. The rest of this stuff is just here to make sure that we get your house when you can't pay us back. What a lovely house. Predatory lenders are never this easy to spot. Call us at 866-222-FAIR and protect yourself with the facts. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Fair Housing Alliance and the Ad Council. Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's 
every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Haiti has been hit hard by a deadly earthquake. Destruction is everywhere. Tens of thousands are feared dead and hundreds of thousands are homeless without food, water, and basic necessities. Save the Children is on the scene, but your support is urgently needed to help us save lives. Please give as much as you can now. Call 1-800-SAVE-THE-CHILDREN or go online at savethechildren.org. You can even donate $10 right now by texting the word SAVE from your cell phone to 20222. Please give now. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Today's guest, uh, I, I've just become a big, big fan of hers. Uh, Britta Belly, she's the editor of E, the Environmental Magazine. I'd love for each and every one of you listening to this show to check out her website. Uh, don't close this web browser. Open a new tab in your web browser and go to www.emagazine.com. It's a great publication. I myself uh, have got a subscription and I'm looking forward to the next issue already, but this current issue is their 20th year anniversary issue. And the cover story that we're talking about today is the environmental link between uh, toxins that our children may be exposed to and the, the rising incidence of childhood autism. Britta, thank you so much for being with us on Go Green Radio today. Oh, thanks for having me. I, I, like I said, I'm a big fan of your publication, and part of the reason for that is that you all do not shy away from the political and public policy ramifications of these types of issues. Um, in, in your opinion, what kind of political will is going to be needed in order to more adequately protect children from environmental health hazards like the ones that we've been discussing today? I mean, certainly it comes down to putting more pressure, uh, you know, uh, in the form of regulations on chemical companies and really forcing them to prove the safety of their products as opposed to waiting until we find some sort of definite link between a chemical and a health problem and and then deciding to regulate uh, that chemical, which is sort of the way we've been doing it. Um, you know, you see that recently with the bisphenol A, that, that BPA in, in baby bottles, for instance, and other plastics that's now being banned from major retailers. But it's taken so long, you know, that that's been a plasticizer for so long and, and been out in widespread in the environment for so long uh, prior to this. So, you know, the same thing is true with children's products and toys. And, I mean, many of these um, kind of plastic items that we take for granted uh, that, that are ubiquitous in, in children's toys and are being put in their mouths, um, we, don't, we don't really know the long-term effects of those chemicals. So that's, that's a huge issue um, is, is really forcing the regulation to happen before the chemical is released and not afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and and well, certainly there needs to be more research in general um, regarding environmental toxins and autism, because that's that's really that, that research is really in its infancy. Um, and everyone I spoke to said this, you know, we should have been looking into this a long time ago, and we certainly need to ramp up looking into it now. Um, right. the, the, the signs are all there, right? Uh, it just seems like you know it's it's 
it's pretty obvious that there's something going on there. Um, when you see some of the, the, the similarities in the blood work of, of children with autism and the presence of chemicals that clearly came from outside of their bodies, that really does point to, I mean, even just in a common sense approach, let alone a scientific approach, that there's something in the environment around these children that's causing them, you know, some kind of problems. Now, let's say if, if we're talking to a group of parent advocates out there who really want to have an effect and they want to get involved and help elect public policy, you know, officials, elected officials who will take on these types of issues of protecting our children from environmental hazards. Um, if we can find a candidate like that, uh, what kind of opposition should we expect him or her to face? Who's standing in the way of the kind of reform we need in order to keep toxic chemicals from harming our children? You know, I mean, there, of course, there's industry groups, the American Chemical Society. Um, there's there's groups representing every industry, and they're well-funded, and they have spokespeople that will quickly get out there and say, well, this is why this is wonderful. This is why we need Teflon in our lives, or this is why we need um, this form of plastic in our lives. And... And, and put out some slick commercials and whatnot, um, kind of touting the benefits of their products. And I, I think that's, that's like, I mean, you know, really that is the big opposition is going to be from industry itself. Um, you know, industries never want to be regulated, and there's always some sort of loss of profit involved when that happens. Um, so it would have to be somebody who's really willing to stand up to that, to stand up to lobbyists, and uh, and really make public health their yeah, number one priority. I mean, that's it's also challenging because there's no one to one ratio here. There's nothing, you know, um, many of the problems that we're seeing today, many of the health problems, and and we're seeing many in, in addition to autism. I mean, the the rise in the number of children with allergies and asthma and all sorts of environmentally related health problems, um, and you know, really to, to to prove any sort of connection between a particular chemical and those um, those illnesses or disorders is nearly impossible to do. So I, I think that's one of the reasons that the regulation has to come first is because proving the long-term effects of particular chemicals working together in the body is nearly impossible. Well, and uh, again, I get the chance to editorialize on, on the show, um, being the host, and Here's what I would say to that. I mean, chemical companies, like every other company, are made up of human beings. And I'm willing to bet, even though I don't know this for sure, that there are a whole lot of people who work for those companies who have children. And sometimes I think that when we get into these situations, you know, it becomes almost like a a court of law. We have to prove something bad in order to get it off the shelves where, you know, if we take the reasonable person approach and appeal to companies, you know, and and the folks who work for them and say, look, um, instead of just looking at regulating you, let's involve you in the process of making sure that your company is safe and, and that we don't hurt the same children you go home to every night that you're working to support and put money on the table, you know, food on the table for. And sometimes I think that environmental groups go wrong when, they make it a court case and when they make it adversarial, you know, I think there might be, and maybe I'm just being Pollyanna-ish about this, but there might be a way to involve those who would be regulated in the process of developing regulation that might make it less adversarial and might actually um, prove to be a quicker way of getting some of these safeguards put in place. I don't know. What do you think about that, Britta? I mean, that's, you know, 
That sounds very hopeful. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how it would go from, you know, from this idea of let's kind of change you from within and, and how to actually make that happen. But, um, I mean, certainly consumers have a huge amount of pressure they could put on companies via what they choose to purchase. And that's already happening. And I think um, particularly with, you know, like we were talking about cleaners um, and those sort of products, many of the, the most harmful toxic cleaners, you won't find any ingredients listed on these bottles. Um, now so many companies are coming out and saying, we're choosing to disclose our ingredients. You know, we want you to know what's in there. And that's, you know, just a, a very simple way for somebody shopping to go, you know what, I'm not going to buy something if I don't know what's in it. Um, and reading labels has become very important. But supporting companies who, you know, who, who are conscious um, and who do follow a value system is very important, too. I think you're exactly right. And actually, I've noticed in your magazine that there are several companies who advertise in your magazine who are very transparent. Um, speaking of your magazine, I hope that all of our Go Green Radio listeners will check out your website, www.emagazine.com. Now, for Go Green Radio listeners who are out there who may say, you know, gosh, I wish my friend or my mom or my sister or you know, somebody I know would have caught this show, this is a good episode that is really relevant, you can check us out on the Green Talk Network of Voice America um, every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to hear a replay of the show, that's a good time to catch it. I want to thank you, Britta, for being on Go Green Radio. It was such a delight to have you on. And uh, I hope that all of you will reach out to Britta, check out her, her publication and her blog. In the last 30 seconds that we have, Britta, is there anything else you'd like to share with our Go Green Radio listeners? Well, I mean, I don't think I could say it better in terms of uh, I would love to have, you know, people visit our website, emagazine.com, and, um, and and really, you know, start to investigate these issues for themselves. And please take note of the contacts, for instance, at the, the end of this uh, autism feature and, and really do some of their own investigation. I think that's important, too. Well, thank you so much, Britta. Thanks for bringing this issue to our attention. Folks, we'll be back with more Go Green Radio, same time, same place next week. Until then, have a great week and go green. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 